Welcome to the weekly podcast of Calvary Chapel, South London, a church where the truth of God's word meets and transforms the reality of our daily lives. We hope you are impacted by this week's teaching. Psalm 127. As you're turning there, what with all these property programs on TV, I'd like to ask you a question. Can you guys hear me? <clears throat> Have you ever considered living in a dream house? Ha- Amen. Thank you for your honesty. Have you ever sat there musing, meditating, imagining, designing and building even a home of your dreams in your dreams. <laughs> I wonder what comes to mind. In such moments of fantasy, what comes to mind? Let's look at how the Bible might speak to this particular fantasy, this particular dream. Um, Psalm 127. It's only five verses. (laughs) What does that mean, right? For those of you that know. Psalm 127, starting at verse 1, and I'm reading from the ESV. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, and the fruit of the womb a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with his enemies in the gate. Shall we pray? (sighs) Heavenly Father, thank you that you are the God of the ages. You are the ancient of days. You are the, the God who was from everlasting to everlasting. You are the Alpha and the Omega. You're the beginning and the ending. And we praise you. Father, would you allow some of your eternity, some of your eternal appreciation, some of your some of your amazing matchlessness, Lord, would you would you allow that to be exposed just a little bit? We can't take too much, Lord. We'll die. But would you expose just a little bit of it today, Lord, in order that we might be benefited because we've come together in your name, in your presence, under your word. Father, would you by your spirit, reveal truth and reveal your will and your purpose further to us. And would you give us the grace to hear it, understand it, and then walk in it for the sake of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now, this text has been mentioned a few times over the past few weeks. We've mentioned this text in prayer And just by the way, you can't help not mention the first verse of Psalm 127 when you're talking about church. 
<coughs> and particularly having just moved into this uh, new building, that is the physical building, right? We've been considering our existence as an ecclesia, our existence as a church, that's the Greek word for church, our existence as a people that is not a physical building, but us as a spiritual building and the implications of that. Last week, we celebrated three major things here, if you were here. First of all, our inauguration. We were like, we're here. We've been here for six months, but we celebrated it last week. We're here. Thank the Lord. Secondly, we looked at the fact that we formally announced our new name, Ecclesia. Otherwise known as, formerly known as Calvary Chapel, South London. Big things. Name change. And then third, we talked a lot about partnership. Partnership. Particularly with LCM. <clears throat> and then if you remember, two weeks before that, does anybody remember what Pastor E preached on two weeks ago? Quick um, test. To see if anybody was listening. Um, second Samuel, chapter 7. Talking about what? Building a house. Amen. Building a house. Building a house for God, by God. And today we, we also will be considering a kind of like a fourth aspect, which is our, our, our baby dedication. A building, a metaphorical building, a a metaphorical house or a home. Hence the title for our message today. Remember what I asked you to think about? Our message today is a house of dreams. A house of dreams or a dream house. Who wants one? <laughs> now there seems to be a disconnect between the two, the two main sections of this, this chapter. Small chapter really only two main sections and it seems to be if you if you have a look at you haven't probably had time enough to think it through but if you really had a look at it the two sections are quite random i mean i know when i first started looking at oh you're scratching my head thinking lord what is the connection here how does this work together how does it fit together by god's grace we'll try to make sense of this unusual contrast this is a psalm remember a few weeks ago we've done psalm 146 a psalm is what it's a song. It's a song, and hopefully we'll be able to sing this song in one sense. It's a song, and the song is attributed to Solomon, and we're going to come back to his significance in a moment. It's a psalm or a song of ascent. That means it's a song that was sung by the worshippers as they went up, as they were walking up Mount Zion toward the temple. A song of ascent. And they ascend, as they ascended, they would be confronted with the incredible temple that Solomon built. Now this is just a, an artist's impression of this temple. And there's a lot to say about the temple, but we don't have time. But it was an awe-inspiring structure. Seven years in building, magnificent in stature, in beauty, and in quality. And what could have happened is that as the pilgrims 
visibly considered God's temple, an immediate follow-on thought could possibly be consideration of one's own temple, one's own house. And again, as you probably remember two weeks ago, who had a dream about a house? Who had a dream house? David did in Second Samuel 7. And <clears throat> David, as King David considered his own house, remember he walked around and it was paneled and it was cedar and it was amazing. As he looked at his house, he was like, boy, he began to think about God's house. I said, I need to build a house for God, right? David originally wanted to build this house, that is God's house, for the Lord. But what was the Lord's response? The Lord said, no, David, I don't want you to build me a house. Furthermore, I'm going to build a house for you. God building a house in reference to what he said to David was, was very specific to God's redemptive purpose over the process of human history. Now, we'll see this develop shortly. So David looks at his house, and he wants to build a house for God. We see this in reverse in the book of Haggai, if any of you are familiar with that. The prophet Haggai, he looks at God's house, and his attention is immediately turned where? To the people's houses, and to their private homes. God's house is in a state of disrepair and the people say it's not time to rebuild the house of the Lord. In Haggai chapter 1 verse 3 and 4 it says then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet and he says wait a minute is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house that is God's house lies in ruins verse 7 and 8 thus says the Lord of hosts consider your ways go up to the hills but you're sitting there chatting about it ain't time to build go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house my house God's house instead of being preoccupied with your own house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified says the Lord looking at God's great house possibly for these worshippers, provoked consideration of the private. The much smaller houses. And, and that's what we see here in this short psalm, in this short song. Verse 1. It says, Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. Now this house is intriguing. On the surface it, on the surface it has a practical application to building in general. But it's not just a reference to a man-made structure. This is actually more about a legacy. It's more about a dynasty than a physical temple. And it seems like the songwriter has a deep appreciation for God's building capabilities, right? And he should do. Because he had been carefully instructed by his father who? Remember who wrote this? Solomon wrote this, his father David. Thank you, Bertram. Solomon understands that Although he would build, and he did, this amazing temple, it was the Lord that would build this temple. Solomon understands that although he would build the house, it was the Lord that would eventually build his house. And it would be a dream house. Hey. 
Adam Clark in his commentary says, to build a house is taken in three different senses in the Bible. To build a house, three different senses. One, to build the temple of the Lord. Two, to build an ordinary house or a dwelling place. But three, to have numerous offspring. To have numerous offspring. It's actually quite hard to say if you translate too quickly. See, in this you have to understand the Hebrew thought. In, in Exodus chapter 1 verse 21, in regards to the Hebrew midwives that spared the children, remember, spared the lives of the children during the Egyptian genocide, remember that, when Pharaoh was killing all the children, the, the, the men children, the boy children, the decree goes from, from Pharaoh to murder these children, and the Hebrew, the Hebrew midwives are not having it, they're not on it, they're like, no, we're not going to murder the kids, and did I put it up yet? Exodus chapter 1, verse 20 through 21, it says, Therefore God dwelt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and waxed very mighty. And it came to pass, because the midwives feared God, that he made them what? He made them houses. Hmm. What does that mean? Like Barrett's, God just set up a little housing scheme and constructed some houses. That sounds random, it sounds strange. God made them houses. Listen to the same verse in the ESV. It says, so God dealt well with the midwives and the people multiplied and grew very strong. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families. You see the Hebrew thought? It's not just about buildings. When you talk about house, houses, you're talking you're talking not just about the physical building, but you're talking about families and offspring. Amen. House equals families from time to time. It means a place of dwelling, but it can also mean numerous offspring. Notice this. In Hebrew, the word for son is ben, right? Like ben David or what was um, ben Jim. Ben Judah, um, was one, Barnabas, right? Son of, right? The word for daughter is bath. I don't know if I pronounce it correctly. I'm not Hebrew. Bath, right? That's how it's spelled anyway, B-A-T-H. And the word for house is bet, right? Like in Bethlehem, house of bread, right? These all come from the same root word. Guess what it means? It means the root word from which all of these words come from means to build. It means to build. See, in Hebrew thought, sons and daughters build up a household and constitute a family. As much as, as, much as stones and timber constitute a building. Can you see now how the first part of this psalm fits with the second part? Unless the good hand of God be upon his people, they couldn't build a temple. Unless God's people have his blessing, a home cannot be properly erected. Notice I didn't say a house. I said a home. You can have a house, that's not a home. Remember, remember Luther Vandross? A chair is still a chair. 
Even though there's no one sitting there. Man, so sing it. But a chair is not a house. I'm not going to try and sing it. It goes up a bit higher. I can't reach up there. But a chair is not a house. And a house is not a home. Unless God's blessing is upon it. I'll just divert it from his lyrics. Right, Carl? You cannot have a, a wholesome home apart from God's mercy and his work in your family. Is that statement worth a congregational response? I don't know. Unless God's hand is at work in your life, you can't have a home. You can have a house, but not a home. Which relates directly to the church. Because how many of you know the church is made up of people who make up families who make up the church? The ecclesia. The called out gathering of God's people. And the people in the house are more important than the building. Thank the Lord for this new building. Hey, hallelujah. Remember for years, myself, Bertram, um, Pastor E, Pastor P was looking at buildings, you know. Window shopping. Carl, we never had no money to pay for no two million pound building. All of the buildings we looked at were so ridiculously expensive. It's London. And we yet, and yet we looked. Even sometimes we walked around the building praying, Lord, wow. <laughs> Could it be, Lord? We're not presuming, but boy, Lord. The Bible says if you don't ask, you don't get, right? <laughs> and the Lord provided us for a wonderful building. And, um, and yet, you know, it's the people in the house that is more important than the house is the what kind of house are you dreaming about what is your dream home see and, and how are you working towards building it see are you like david or are you like the jews in haggai's time like david's like lord i look at my house and my house is nice and it's wonderful praise you but I'm really concerned about your house. Or are you like the Jews in Haggai's time? You know what? I'm concerned. Boy, down a and q Going to get some more Dulux and touch up the house again. Oh, you know, it's this, this, we need to get an extension on the house. And, you know, what we need to do next year is we need to. Now, that's all right to do that. Your house needs to look decent, right? But where's the emphasis in your life? Where's the emphasis in my life? Well, When it comes to building, if the Lord ain't in it, whatever you're doing, it will be in vain. Verse 1. That's why we're here. That's why we here at Ecclesia, we don't take it for granted that just because we are working, that that, that automatically means that we will succeed in our efforts. We are trusting that God is building. Because if he ain't, then none of our work is of worth. All of our work is worthless. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in vain. And that's why Stephen and Charlene have dedicated themselves to God and his purpose. And entrusted baby Judah into God's care in the hope that God will build their house. All of their efforts, breastfeeding instead of bottle feeding. Healthy diet, exercise, home training, good education. None of these things will guarantee success, quote unquote, from God's point of view. 
for baby Judah. As parents, their only hope is in God. And our biblical theological history is very helpful. Why? Because how many of you know, historically, this family, Solomon's family, they were a mess. David messed up big time, right? Adultery, lies, murder. Solomon, oh my gosh. He messed up even worse, right? Marrying multiple women, setting up idols. His heart got taken away from the Lord. And after Solomon, we see the kingdom divided, don't we? And then a whole list of kings. I mean, the whole, when it was divided, the kingdom known, the the, the part of the kingdom known as Israel, they had like 20 kings. Guess how many of the kings were good? Not, none. And then you've got Judah. They had approximately 20 kings. Apparently about seven of the kings were good. And like five of them fell. See, there's a whole list of, of bad kings in Judah. Rehoboam, Abijah, Jehoram, Ahaz, Manasseh, Jehoiakim. And they were terrible kings. They were unfaithful, sinful descendants. Messed up family. Yet through this house, this very messed up family, we have the lineage of another king. In contrast to those sinful kings, we have a good king, actually a perfect king, the promised king. His name is Jesus, the promised offspring, greater than Solomon, greater than David, even greater than Moses, who everybody held in such great esteem. In Hebrews 3, verse 1 to 3, it says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession. He was king, but he was also high priest, who was faithful to him who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all God's house. For Jesus had been counted worthy of more glory than Moses, as much more glory as the builder of a house has more honor than the house itself. So here we have a house, but it's actually people. And they are important, but not primary. The builder has More honor than the house. God is the preeminent one. And rightly so. Verse 4 through 6 continues. For every house is built by someone. But the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant. To testify to the things that were to be spoken later. Moses pointed to someone else. He says that in Deuteronomy chapter 18. A prophet like me is going to come. Listen to him. Verse 6. But Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house. If indeed we hold fast our confidence. And our boasting in our hope. See the question is. What are you hoping for? Or probably a better question would be. Who are you hoping in? If you had to choose between a physical house and God's spiritual house, which would be your ultimate dream home? The scripture says in Mark chapter 8, it says, What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and he ends up losing his soul? See now, it doesn't mean that you can't have a nice home in this life. But that's the point. There is an end to this life. 
And the thing is, I don't have to convince you that eventually you and I will leave this all behind. Then what? Wisdom says, make a good investment in the future. And how many of you know property is the future? Not material, but spiritual property. And how many of you know the price is high? You think that London property prices are expensive? The purchase price for God's dream house was the execution of his son. Is there any house that's worth that much? Would you sacrifice your child for a condo, for an apartment, for a penthouse? Not if you love your child, you wouldn't. You think, you, think, you think GP and Shaz would sacrifice Judah what, for a house? But you see, that's the price that God paid to secure the purchase of his dream home, his dream house, which is you and me, if you're in Christ. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 18 to 21 says, Knowing that you were ransomed, ransomed, bought back, you know. There was a purchase price paid to get you back. Ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers. Not with perishable things such as silver or gold or pound sterling. But with the precious blood of Christ. Like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, for my sake, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead after he sacrificed his life and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Peter goes on to say in the next chapter, chapter, chapter 2, verse 4 through 6, he says, as you Come to him, Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, rejected by by many, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Is he precious to you? You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it it stands in scripture, Behold, says the Lord, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. And whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. If you put your trust in the things of the world, temporarily, no doubt, they will bring you momentary happiness. But ultimately, they will let you down. Only hope and trust in Jesus will mean that you will never be put to shame. We'll see this repeated at the end of our psalm. Now, a few more things to note. Notice that the house has how many builders in verse 1? How many builders does the house have? Someone said one. Notice that the house has two builders. God and men. 
We see God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. Can you see the two working together? See? Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it, see the two builders? The fact that God is sovereign isn't an excuse for us to do nothing. I'll say that again. The fact that God is sovereign isn't an excuse for us to do nothing. It's like, well, you know, God is sovereign, isn't it? Doesn't matter what I do or don't do, some may say. Now, there is truth in that, but let's just smash that lazy, the lazy aspect of that straight away. First Corinthians 3, verse 5 to 9 says, <clears throat> Paul's writing. He says, what then is Apollos, right? That's a man. And what is Paul, who's another man? And they're actually builders. Servants, we are, through whom you believed. That's because they did some work. As the Lord assigned to each. There's the Lord's part, right? I planted, Apollos watered, but God done his part. The most important part. God made it grow. Right? So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. We've got to get the emphasis right, but we don't neglect the other at that, ex- at the, at, at that expense. Verse 8, he who plants and he who waters, they're working, right? They're one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. Again, you are God's building. It's more the material. And again, and this is echoing Psalm 127. It's probably what was in Paul's mind as he penned this and this is good for us to hear personally and corporately personally as individual christians and corporately as a church remember alan black's message last week about what partnership partnership one we are in partnership one with another as members in this ecclesia in this family in this church in this body right every part doing its part Two, we are in partnership with other churches and other Christian organizations. We're not an island. We're not independent. God forbid. And guess who else we're in partnership with? Amen. Thank you, my brother. We are also in partnership with God. Verse 9 of the last quote from 1 Corinthians 3. We are God's fellow workers. See, may God help us to appreciate our responsibility in service And not just be inclined to sit back. One, because we're just flat lazy. Or two, excusing our need to work based on the fact that God is sovereign. Saying he's going to do what he's going to do anyway. You see the point? Let 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 that not be a cop out for us. Look at the second part of verse 1 of our psalm. And you're thinking, is he going to get through this? Second part of uh, of verse 1. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in vain. Now, it's a repetition of the same thought, so I don't have to take much time to develop it, right? It's classic Hebrew poetry. Again, the sentiment, the sentiment isn't, don't set guards around the city. The sentiment isn't, you know what, God will protect us, so we don't need to protect ourselves. I'm a Christian. It means I don't need to have fire alarms in my house. I'm a Christian. It means I don't need to take out life insurance. I'm a Christian. I don't need to lock my car. Angels will protect my property. See, we mustn't tempt the Lord our God. Remember Jesus being tempted by the devil in Matthew 4. The devil said, jump off of this, 
check it, this same albeit rebuilt temple that we're talking about. Because this is Solomon's temple, it got destroyed by the Babylonians and then it was rebuilt again. It's this very temple, later on, the devil is saying to Jesus, jump off here. And Jesus said to him, look, sorry, the devil said to him in verse 6, If you are the son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. The devil quotes scripture, Psalm 91, right? Quotes scripture at Jesus. But Jesus then says, look, again it is written, do you want to quote scripture at me? It is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. See, if you slip and fall, God can and possibly will save you. He will rescue you. He, he will protect you. He may not. But we don't put ourselves in harm's way expecting that God will protect us. You ever heard of the snake handling church in America? I never had the time to get the deal. I was going to put a picture up for you because it exists. This church, they handle snakes. Because they read in Mark 16 that you will pick up scorpions and snakes and, not, 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 and, and drink poison. And nothing by any means will harm you. What foolishness. And they pick up these snakes and often they get bitten. And some of them die. Now, I would say that's tempting the Lord your God. That's a madness. See, the point at the end of verse 1 is the same at the beginning of the verse. It's watch, guard, protect, but don't solely trust in, 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 in your ability to watch or to guard or to protect. It's don't trust or depend on yourself. Don't build As if you're the greatest architect, as if you're the greatest building firm, you're the greatest student, you're the greatest social worker, you're the greatest pastor. Independent of God. Build, keep God, but do so trusting God. And we see a beautiful picture of this in Nehemiah. Hmm? Oh, did I not pick that? Okay, maybe I never put the verses up. In Nehemiah chapter 4, here we see the Jews are actually rebuilding Solomon's temple because they've been in exile under the Babylonians and now they've come back after 70 years. Remember Jeremiah's prophecy? And they come back and the, the temple that was so wonderful and glorious has been decimated. Babylonians stripped all the gold, took everything out of it, just looted and it's, it's, it's mash up. So they come back to rebuild the temple. And Nehemiah... He's got, to, he's got work to do. He don't just stand back and say, well, you know what? We're just going to trust that the Lord's going to do it. No. He goes, and look what happens. He says, verse 6, um, chapter 4. So, we, we, so we, we built the wall. And all the wall. Now this is outside of the temple. They don't even start working on the temple yet. They've got to build the wall for the sake of protection. So that they can go on to build the temple. And so we, so we built the wall. And all the wall was joined together to half its height. For the people had a mind to do what? To work. But when Sanballat and Tobiah, and that, sorry, I'm asking you to read it. It's not up there. You can't read it, can you? Unless you get your Bible open. But when Sanballat and Tobiah and the Arabs and the Ammonites and the Ashdodites, these are the enemies of God, heard that the repairing of the walls of Jerusalem was going forward and that the, the breaches were being to, beginning to be closed, they were very angry. Verse 8, and they all plotted together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause confusion in it. And we prayed to our God and set a guard as a protection against them day and night. See that? 
They trust. They're, built, they're building, you know, and they're protecting themselves, but they're trusting that God is going to protect them. Verse 15, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the, work, to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on, con- worked on construction and half held the spears. See that? Shields, they held the bows and the coats of mail and the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand he held his, with one hand he worked and the other he held his weapon. Build, keep guard, work hard, but do so trusting in God. I heard someone say that when it comes to preaching and teaching, and this, is, this, is, this, 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 this can be used as a principle in many other things. Pastor Rob Dingman, he's the, he's, he, he was one of the first um, brothers that took myself, Pastor Ian, Pastor Pete, under his wing and began to help us with this whole challenge of teaching the Bible. And he taught us three principles. Interpret, observation, interpretation, and application. And one of the things he did at the end of teaching us all of the principles, he said, right, now put down all the principles and stuff. He says, I've got one more thing I want to say to you. He said, when you're preparing to preach, he says, prepare hard. Get your concordances out, get your, get your, your commentaries out, listen to messages, like pour over the text, read the text, get on your knees and pray. He says, do, he says, work hard at preparation. And he said, work in such a way as if God wasn't going to help you. Oh my gosh, how many of you know you're going to go to work if you think God ain't going to help you? But then he says, once you've finished doing all your work, he says, put your work aside. And then he says, pray. And he says, pray as if you never prepared. You see the beautiful tension. And that's how we need to live our lives after that fashion. According to those principles, build, work hard, keep God, teach Judah, teach your children, raise them up. In and once you've done all of that, here comes Steve. You missed it, bro. You, you can listen to the MP3 online. Once you've done all of that, trust God. Put your trust in him. Getting back to our text. Now. It's one thing being self-dependent and not trusting in the Lord at all. It's another thing to trust in the Lord, but not really trust in the Lord. And become anxious. Verse 2. It is in vain that you rise up early and go late to rest, eating the bread of anxious toil, for he gives to his beloved sleep. Now this is a warning against Not trusting in yourself, but not trusting even in the Lord. You get up, you get up early. Because if you don't attend to your affairs, who will? And you go to bed late. Because you've spent all, you've spent all day and night trying to get things done. Now, I hesitate because... I don't know if that's true generally in our, I say in our culture. When I say our culture, I'm not talking about black culture. I'm talking about modern day London. 
in to 45's category. Like I would argue that we tend to be quite lazy. It's, it's, the, it's, the, it's, it's, the, it's going to be the minority of individuals that are really, 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 really hard working. Forgive me. And I wish I could put myself in a really, really, really hard working category. I, don't, I put myself in the slapdash, lazy, procrastinating category. I don't know if any of you are with me. Let me just, I'll just speak about myself. And, and so this category of person, I know they're here. I know you do exist. Hey, I mean, can I get a witness? And, but, but, but the danger for you is possibly that you are a workaholic. And pretty much what you're doing is you're trusting in you. You're trusting in yourself and your ability to get things done. Where the person before, they could have been guilty of not doing enough. You, on the other hand, do too much. And can't get to sleep because if you're anxious, your, your anxiety and, and worry. You know, one day, Helen and myself, yeah. Helen is my wife, by the way. Me, so me and Helen, right? One Because what we're talking about is this whole thing about getting to bed late and, and you're on it. You're trying to get, keep everything under control and you're anxious. One morning we woke up late. Oh my goodness. Now you know what it's like when you wake up late and you've got to get kids to school. You know what I mean? We normally wake up about, about six, half six, and I think it was like seven o'clock. And you know you wake up and you wake up like, <gasps> you look at the clock and you think, oh my gosh, how am I going to do And we just, you know, we just lie down in bed for a minute. <laughs> and um, Helen just began to pray and she said, Lord, boy, forgive us, we overslept. But thank you, Lord. That you, the God of Israel, you never slumber nor sleep. I was like, what? I was like, amen. You know what I mean? Like, we feel like we got to get up and we got to do this. Remember Benny Hill? Right? That's us. And she was like, thank you, Lord. You don't see, you've been awake the whole night. And you're in control of everything. And you're running things. And it's all right. It's all right. We can breathe. Because ultimately, it's not all down to us and what we can do. And although we'd been in a coma for the past six hours, God was still working. He was building. He was saving. Amen. So let's not go to either extreme. Laziness on one hand and anxiously overworked on the other. Now, now the content of this song sounds very much like Solomon. Now the content of this, this song, this psalm, Sounds very much like Solomon. I don't know if you noticed it. Watch. Unless the Lord builds the house, those who build it labor in. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchman stays awake in. It is vain that you rise up early and go to, go to bed late. Vain, vain, vain. Does that sound familiar? Vanity, vanity, vanity. All is vanity from Ecclesiastes, right? That Solomon also penned. This is definitely Solomon. And he realizes that life under the sun, that is life solely understood in terms of this world, is vain. It's empty. It's meaningless. Ultimately, a better translation of that word vanity is transient. 
See, because we could be like, oh, everything's vanity. It's not worth it. Because that's the impression you get from Solomon as he's writing Ecclesiastes, right? Oh, my gosh. What's the point of working? I'm going to work. I'm going to toil. I'm going to do this. I'm going to stack up all my chips. And then two twos, I'm going to die. Just for someone else to come and bun it out. Right? Vanity. But really, the heart of it isn't, it's meaningless. Because otherwise, you'll become, what do they call those people who are just completely, um, what was it? What do they call them? The, the people who just have not, they're completely the opposite of being optimistic, perpetually pessimistic, fatalistic. Thank you, sis. Is that what you said? Amen. Amen. Fate, you can become fatalistic. You won't get out of bed without hope. With, and what the, 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 the point is, everything is transient. That means it's here for a minute and you can enjoy it, but as you enjoy it, it's gone. It's, look, everybody was looking forward to Christmas. Come on, gone. Oh, my gosh. Now we're all looking forward to the Easter holidays. We look for, if you're a young person, you can't wait till the six weeks holiday. Oh, my gosh. And the six weeks holiday, you begin to enjoy it before it even arrives, right? And then it comes, and before you know it, you're back in school. All right? Oh, my gosh. Year 10. Here we come. <laughs> you're going on a holiday. You look forward to the holiday. Book the holiday. Looking at the brochure. Looking at the pictures and tutus. You're on the plane and you think, wow, no more work for two weeks. And before you know it, you're back on the plane on the way home. Thinking, what happened to my holiday? Feeling like I need a holiday after my holiday. Everything is transient. It doesn't mean you can't enjoy it and appreciate it, but appreciate the fact that it's temporary. It's temporary. It's like grasping after the wind and you grab it momentarily and then it's gone. So in light of this, how do we then live? We live continuing in our daily affairs, but with a tenacious trust in God. As I said earlier, at face value, there seems to be a disconnect between these two sections. Verse 1 to 2 talk about God's house, not just the physical temporal structure. I mean, it's been destroyed anyway. There's no temple no more, right? Watch the seamless transition from temple, the building made with hands, and now to the house or to the home. As I look at Stephen and Shaz holding baby Judah. Behold, verse 3, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb a reward. Here we see echoes of verse 1. Remember, who does it take to build a house? God and And man. Who does it take to make children? It's the same thing. You hear the echo? God and men and women. (laughs) Wow. See, whose decision was it to make Judah? (laughs) Well, I'd like to think... That it was something that they came together in perfect agreement on. I'm sure it absolutely was. Amen. Because you can't make babies at a distance. Keep it trying to keep it PG. See, whose decision was it to make baby Judah? It was it was Steve's and it was Shaz's joint decision. But how many of you know it's what God determined? Wow. God's sovereignty. And man's responsibility. Beautifully working in harmony. God's, no one who is born is born without a purpose. 
or a marked out destiny. The only question is, will it be a life lived in humble faith to God or otherwise? Cain and Abel, Isaac and Ishmael, Jacob and Esau. See, we can't determine our children's destiny. But how many of you know it's our responsibility to raise our children in the fear of God? To train them up in the way of the Lord? Trust in. That's hard work, you know. And all of the parents said, Amen. Amen. It's hard work to raise your children in the fear of the Lord. And partly because we are sinful ourselves as parents and we make mistakes and we flop. And it's hard for us to be able to tell them what to do when we ourselves are not doing it. When we fail and we're hypocrites. I tell you, it's a hard job raising children. Raising children is one of the, has, one, has been one of the most beautiful pictures for me at my relationship with God. And just to see how often I fail. When I'm shouting at my, well, the big, when I'm shouting, when I'm shouting at my foster kids because they're little, I'm shouting at them every time. Before I even finish the sentence, I'm there thinking, boy, Lord. I'm just as bad. One day I went into um, one, of, one of our foster kids' bedroom. And he, I noticed in him a habit that I have. Have you ever, have, have you ever um, been downstairs, right? And you've got to go upstairs to get something. And you turn around on a mission, you know, up the stairs, determined, you know, you're going up there for a reason. And two, two, either the phone rings or something happens. And by the time you get there... Like, what did I come up here for again? <laughs> and you literally feel like I'm going mad or I'm getting old, like one of the two. And, and it's funny because children, they have this habit. When you tell them to go and do something, by the time they get upstairs to go and do what you told them to do, they find something else to do. And they're up there playing with this or turning with that and touching this. And, you, and five minutes later, you're like, wait a minute. Where's this child that I told to go upstairs? And, and you go up the stairs, march up there, go looking for them. Only to find them doing some insignificant, absolutely inconsequential, stupid foolishness. Which then causes you to get angry and shout and scream and lose your temper and have to go repent in five minutes, right? I'm like, but you know what? I realize that I'm just the same. Sometimes I'm doing this and I'm doing that and I'm thinking I'm busy and I'm thinking I'm working hard and I'm thinking I'm, I'm, I'm doing something very, very substantial and, and, and consequential. And I, I think sometimes the Lord looks at me and thinks, Robert, you're... Robert, I love you. The revelation that I've received of my relationship with God has been no greater than relating to my own children, relating to children. And I realize so desperately I need God's help. We do what we do but then we have to trust God to do the rest. We sow and we water, but we have, to, we have to trust that God will bring the increase. You know, we trust the Lord that we build the house and we hope that our work will not be in vain. Single parents, your child may have been born in less than because I'm talking a lot about husbands and wives and you might be a single parent and your child might have been born, your children may have been born in less than perfect circumstances. 
that doesn't mean that your, your child or your children are doomed to failure. Children are the fruit of the womb. And God has a purpose. And we have to believe that and we have to trust him and we have to work according to that. May God help you, particularly as a single parent. I don't think Mo's here, but Mo is such a great example of that. Sometimes it takes years and so many others. You know, please, I'm not, I shouldn't have mentioned names because so many of you are in that category. I'll just mention her because one of her sons is a big man now. And her son, who used to give nothing but drama, right? <laughs> he's married. He's following the Lord. I'm sorry, I can't. Normally, he's on the sound. He's one of the guys on the sound team. I could have looked across and said, bro, look. Look at you. Look at you. Give so much trouble earlier. But God is faithful now. Look at you serving the Lord in a wonderful way. And um, don't worry. You still have your own kids. And you see, you see the drama that you cause your mum. It's all right. It's all right. Um, children are the fruit of the womb. And this would remind us of the book of Genesis, the whole creation mandate to go forth and multiply and fill the earth. Fill the earth. See, we are supposed to be created or recreated if we're saved in God's image. Now, God wants that image reflected. He wants his image reflected in us and then he wants that image reflected in our children. And as, 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 as they go out and populate the earth, how many of you know God's kingdom is spread in that sense? And that's what, that's what Adam and Eve were supposed to do. They were supposed to bear God's image and then go out of the garden and represent God wherever they went. And the whole creation mandate, <clears throat> it was significant because not only were people going to populate the earth, but a particular person was going to come through that population of the earth, right? The populating of the earth. It was to allow for the birth of a special child. Not just all children, but one special child, a special son. In Genesis 3.15, this is after Adam and Eve fell and they flopped, turned around, they're blaming everything. Adam's blaming God, Adam's blaming Eve, Eve's blaming the serpent. God says, look, I will put enmity between you, speaking to the serpent, and the woman. And between your offspring... Notice, the serpent has got offspring. The serpent has got a house. In the book of Revelation, it calls them the synagogue of Satan. Hey. The the, the serpent has got a house. He's got offspring. And God's going to bring enmity between the serpent's offspring and the woman's offspring. Now, woman doesn't have seed unless God impregnates a particular woman with seed miraculously. We talked about that at Christmas, didn't we? He, this special seed, shall bruise your head, serpent, and you shall bruise his heel. Now that's also poetry, if you ever noticed that in in your Bible. The seed of the woman, speaking about Mary, who was a virgin, her seed, Jesus, would have his heel bruised. The crucifixion. But he would then go on to crush the head of the serpent. This is predictive. This is prophecy. But also the church is described as crushing the head of the serpent. Because the church is the body of Christ. Christ crushed the head of the serpent. 
at the crucifixion. But we are the body of Christ and we, will, we go on to crush the head of the serpent. And this is not the whole binding and loosing thing. Binding and loosing is completely taken out of its proper context of Matthew 18. You know what I mean? But this crushing of the head of the serpent is the work that we contribute to because of what Jesus has done. Um, Romans 16, Paul says, you can't even see it, I'm sorry. Verse 20, it says, the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet, speaking of the church. And I think the emphasis, again, it's not that we go around crushing, stamping on the devil's head. You ever been in a prayer meeting like that? I remember them back in the day. Lord, forgive us, right? It says the Lord will do the crushing, but under our feet, under the, under the feet of the church. And it's because of Jesus. Remember, Jesus is, he's the foundation and we're the building. Jesus is also the head of the body and we're the body. It's beautiful, just these different pictures. Therefore, we pray that the dedication of baby Judah today will lead, as Steve said, to his salvation. Which will contribute to the downfall of the kingdom of darkness and the ongoing battle that rages. Why? Because our prayer is that this little baby will grow and grow up to become, as the text says, an arrow in the hand of God. How many of you know arrows are weapons? Verse 4, like arrows in the hand of a warrior. GPR, warrior, oh brother. Amen. In Jesus' name. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. There's so much to say in no time. Children are weapons. I'm so tempted to get my son to come up here and stand up here. I won't. Because he probably won't. (laughs) No, he probably would if I did ask him because he's obedient. But if I was to get him to come and stand up here. How many of you know? How many of you know? My son is a weapon. Is a, is a lethal weapon. In the hands of the devil, he potentially would actually just wrought a massacre. He could terrorize young women's lives. He could, he, he could cause, I'm like, he's a weapon of mass destruction. In the hands of the devil. But how many of you know in the hands of God? He's also a weapon of mass destruction. Against the kingdom of darkness. Children grow up to become adults. Judah will grow up to become an adult. Who hopefully will effectively fight. For the kingdom of God. See and there are only two teams. Our children will fight on one of. One of those two teams. Either on the dark side. Or in the kingdom of light. May God help us to contribute to to the former. Blessed is the man, verse 5, whose quiver is filled with them. Wow. Like I said, so much to say and I ain't got time. He shall not be put to shame when he speaks with the enemies in the gate. As we heard Peter say earlier, that's the apostle Peter. As As many of the Psalms also say, those who put their trust in the Lord will never be put to shame. How many of you know that? That Jesus used to sing this psalm. As a boy, as a young man. Just as we saw him sing Psalm 146 a couple weeks ago. And because he sings it, we can also sing it. 
Because we are in him. Jesus is the foundation to, he's the foundation to, and he's also the builder of God's house. God's dream home, which is the church. Which you and I are graciously invited to become a part of. Amen. Do you have a dream home? Well, I'd like to hope that ultimately it would be the church. God's people. Let's pray. I'm going to ask the guys to come join me if they're here. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have a a dream home. You have a dream house. You have a desire to have a building that would bear your name and that would reflect your glory. And Father, we thank you that 2,000 years after that building project called the church, Actually, tell a lie. Four, five thousand years ago, when you called a man called Abraham out of Ur of the Chaldees, ancient Babylon, modern day Iraq, you called that man out and you promised that you'd make him a great nation. And you promised, Lord, that he, from him kings would come. And we've seen that in his offspring in Isaac promised son and Jacob and then further on later on Joseph and then King David and Solomon and 14 generations to the exile and then 14 generations after we see the birth of the special son the significant son the promised seed from Genesis 3:15 Jesus from the same lineage Jesus the son of David her father Jesus himself said I'm going to continue the building program I will build my ecclesia I will build my house I will build my people I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it Father thank you that that Jesus has been faithful to that to that commitment 2000 years after he said it here we are your people, gathered together in this place, in your name, for your glory. Thank you, Lord God. I thank you, Father, that you desire to continue to build your church. Thank you, Lord God, you've got a purpose for us. Help us not to be enamored with this building, but help us to be, built, help us to be enamored with the building that you're building, which is your people. And Father, thank you that, like Paul said in, about Corinth, Lord, thank you that you have many people in this city who, don't, who do not yet know you, but you want them to come into relationship with you through the Lord Jesus and his sacrifice for them on the cross. Father, there may even be someone here today that you want to bring into your house. You want to add another block, another brick to the building. Lord, would you work by your grace? For by grace are we saved through faith and that not of ourselves, 
It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Father, would you continue to build your dream home? And would you allow us to have that same sentiment, Lord? Have us, help us to have the same heart commitment to your heart commitment. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. To find out more about us, visit our website at calvarychapelsouthlondon.org or find us on Facebook and Twitter at CC South London. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.